Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. So I have the worship team we do, and uh, a lot of people don't uh, appreciate them enough, and we ought to tell them how much we appreciate uh, what they do and how they uh, lead us in worship every week. So uh, thank you, y'all. We, I appreciate you as your pastor, and I'm thankful for uh, Brother Tim and what he does, and we want to continue to uplift uh, and Pray for him often um, as uh, he's uh, not only leading our music, but also dealing with teenagers and bless him. (laughs) Uh, I I raised uh, six of them and I don't want to do any more. So I'm thankful he's doing that. That's where all this gray hair came from. It's from raising kids and pastoring a church. So... (laughs) Sometimes y'all are like raising teenagers. So, but <laughs> the Lord Jesus has been putting together, I think, a masterful plan called the church. And we've been looking through the book of Acts to try to discover what this church is supposed to look like. And I want to remind you that, you know, where we started was that the church belongs to Jesus, right? And I want to remind you, because that's the case, when we go back to what Jesus said at the very first sermon, I want to just remind you that he reminds us that we have a victorious leader. Amen? I mean, if he's the leader, if he's the one that's really out front and leading us and building us up, then we can't fail. (laughs) We're going to succeed. Amen? I mean, y'all awake this morning? And, and I thought about what Jesus said to Peter, that he said, upon this rock, this confession, I'll build my church. It's not only that we have a victorious leader, but you know, we, we have a promising future. Amen. Because he said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so as we come together this morning, we celebrate our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the master, who is the builder of his church. And because he is the builder, we're victorious. Because he is the builder, we have a promising future. But I also have to think and say and remind you that the responsibility for Jesus building the church is solely his. But at the same token, the responsibility of building the church has been handed over to us. As Jesus is building the church, he's using individual people inside the church to build the church. And so that's why we're looking through the book of Acts. We're beginning to see how God is using first the, the apostles, those disciples who were the first 120 that were sort of gathered up in a prayer room together. And, and they were praying and waiting upon the Spirit of God to come. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit of God comes down mightily. And we know that the whole room is filled with the Holy Spirit at that moment. And Peter stands up and he preaches the first gospel message, the first long sermon ever preached. And At the end of that sermon, he gives an invitation, 3,000 people get saved. And we begin to see how Jesus is multiplying his church through spirit-filled believers who are choosing to gather together and they're making Jesus the priority. 
And so we as a church need to understand that if we're going to be anything significant for the kingdom of God, then it's about us seeking to be spirit-filled and, and Jesus-filled and focusing on him as we march forth into the world. Because listen, the world's not coming in here. We need to go out there. And so Jesus gives the commission in Acts 1.8 and he sends them forth to go and to make disciples and to start at home and then branch out. And so the, the gospel is beginning as we're beginning to read the book of Acts and moving out from the beginning chapters. We're going to soon begin to move out. And we're, we're still working in Jerusalem. And we saw last time together that Peter and John were going up to the time to prayer, the ninth hour. And as they're going up to pray, there was this lame guy who, who wanted alms from them. And we read that glorious text where it said that, Peter said, I don't have money, but what I do have in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. And they helped him up, and immediately he's healed. And we, we reminded us that these miraculous signs were done through the apostles for the establishment of the gospel, right? It was the, it was the show that God indeed was with them, and that God indeed was blessing the message, and that Jesus Christ indeed was risen from the dead, and his power was given to them through the person of the Holy Spirit of God to do these miracles and signs and these wonders in order to grow this new thing called the church. And we read last week in the beginning of chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, that that day, 5,000 people were added to the church. What a glorious beginning. What a powerful beginning to a church. But as we've been reading thus far, it's sort of been one event after the other that's been pretty positive, hasn't it? I mean, you have Jesus who ascends and he says, I'm going to send you into the world. And right, right away, we, we have the, the apostles, the disciples going to work and they're having a prayer meeting. They're filled with the Spirit. The day of Pentecost comes, 3,000 are saved. You know, they preach, they heal a man, what, how excitement runs through the town, and then 5,000 more get saved. You have all these great things happening. But what are you going to do when opposition comes? What are you going to do when you face opposition? And let me tell you something. We are in a day-to-day. I read this quote off of Facebook. Not everything on Facebook is true, by the way. But this is a powerful statement. Listen to this statement. He says, we've come to an interesting point in church history where false teaching is not controversial, but pointing out false teaching is. Think about that. We're living in a day, ladies and gentlemen, where we are no longer drawn to conservative biblical preaching but people are drawn to how can you have your best life now and i know i'm picking on him i've been doing that for a few weeks but you'll get over it eventually but the truth of the matter he's not the only one right i'm referring to joel steen he's not the only one there are a lot of false preachers that are out there and when you begin to expose false teaching in the church today people in the pews get angry i'll never forget the first time i ever mentioned about a false preacher and at the end of the service, I had a, a guy come up to me and he said, can I make an appointment to come see you tomorrow? 
And I'm like, uh, well, yeah, I guess so. I'll be available. And so he come by the office and I'm sitting there in my office waiting, you know, with anticipation about what does this guy have to say? And so he came and gave me an hour lecture about how my job is to preach and not to talk about other preachers, that I was just jealous of their big church. And by the way, when I listen to him, he makes me feel good. And so anyway, I told him, I said, well, that's fine. I told him basically what I told you all last week. If that's what you want to do, then fine. Next time you get sick, call him and see if he'll come visit you. You know, you're going to send your money to him, not give it to your church? Let me tell you something. You ought to give money to your local church, not to them. By the way, all they're going to do is buy jets with it. All they're going to do is buy $3,000 suits. At least what we'll do is try to reach people with the gospel. Amen? So you can send your money if you want, but it's going to go to waste. All right? It's just going to make somebody more uh, rich. All right? So... So my point is, is that we're living in an age, in a time where we're going to find ourselves like these apostles and not necessarily just hearing it from the world. See, we concentrate on the world so much. We concentrate on what the news media says about Christians. We, we concentrate on what some politicians say about Christians. We worry about what, you know, uh, hate groups may say about Christians. But we, we need to be focusing and understanding that a lot of the opposition is going to come our way, I believe, are going to be from nominal Christians. It's going to come from these outside groups that call themselves churches but are not really churches. And they're out there preaching a lie and we're trying to preach the truth. And yet here we are, we're facing opposition from them. Isn't that interesting how that's the case? And so what we find in the book of Acts is how do we deal with opposition? How, how is it that you and I can stand up when, when it's not going well? Because see, so far the church is going good, but then when opposition comes from the outside, how are Peter and John going to handle it? Well, what's going to happen when it happens? And you go to chapter 4, and I want you to look at me in verses 1 through 4, and look at the opposition that comes. Here's a glorious thing that happened. Yet, you know what? The devil will take a high moment, and he will slip in under the radar, and bam, there you go. There's a problem. That's what he does. Every time a church begins, I'm sorry, Casey. Every time the church begins to grow, every time God begins to do a mighty work in the church, somebody rises up and they become ugly. They don't like it. And they begin to be used of the devil to divide and to refocus attention on the church so that the church can't continue to grow because it's too busy putting out fires. I'm telling you, it happens every time. And here's what happens. So now... It says in the text, they spoke to the people and the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came up upon them and being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead and they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day. For it was already evening. So it's already, remember, ninth hour. It's already towards the end of the day. They're going in for the last time of prayer. And so it's the end of the day. And so this man gets healed. And so the crowd gathers on the Solomon's portico. And so Peter, being the great preacher that he is, says, I got a crowd. I might as well preach. And so he begins to preach Jesus. And as he's preaching the gospel, there are these Sadducees and these, these religious people who... You, should, you would have thought, would know that Jesus was the Messiah, but they rejected him. And so here they come upon them. Now, that word upon them means that they're encircling them. Understand, this is not so they can come and hear. This is so they can come, <coughs> excuse me, and arrest. 
And so they come upon them, and, and the reason why they come is they don't like the message about Jesus. The reason why they don't, first of all, they thought they killed him. They thought that he was done. They thought that his life was over, and yet he rose from the dead, and now his name is being preached in powerful ways. Now we got 9,000 people saved, and probably more than that by the time you talk about families. And in this name of Jesus now, this, we had this lame guy who's been lame since he's 40 get up and walk. Now these miracles are being done in there. They couldn't stand it. They wanted Jesus gone. And it didn't work. <laughs> and so here's the text. They come up and they find Jesus being preached and they talk about the resurrection. And you need to understand that the Sadducees were the liberal arm of the Jewish sect. They did not believe in two things. They did not believe in miracles. So for them to swallow the fact, and later they're going to admit that a miracle was done, for them to swallow that fact was very difficult because they couldn't explain. The second thing they did not believe in is resurrections. So they did not believe that Jesus could be alive because they didn't believe in a resurrection. And so here are they, the liberal arm of the church coming in, or the Jewish sect rather, coming in. And so they laid their hands on him and they arrested him at the end of the day and they put him in jail for the night. Now, how many of y'all want to spend a night in jail for the gospel? See, now, when we begin to think about opposition, opposition can come. And notice where the opposition came from. The opposition didn't come from the world. The opposition didn't come from the Roman government. The opposition didn't come from Pilate. The opposition came from within, right? It came from the Jewish sect. It came from those fellow Jews that should have known Jesus was the Messiah. They were the religious leaders of the day, and yet they ignored the fact that he was the Messiah. And so here... What happens is they come and they get arrested. And it says, however, though, verse 4, that those who heard and believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So even in the midst of opposition, the Lord is growing the church. So the question becomes, ladies and gentlemen, how is it that you and I, how is it that, or how is it that you and I will, will hold up when the opposition comes? How will we handle it? Well, let me just tell you, in the title of the sermon, I just give it to you. Here it is. Jesus Jesus emboldens his church. Amen. It's by the strength and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of his people that you and I can stand up when opposition comes. I'm not afraid of the government coming in and shutting me down. I'll just be honest with you. I'm not saying that sarcastically. I'm not saying that ignorantly. I'm just here to tell you that if Jesus has commissioned me to preach the gospel, I will continue to preach the gospel, whether I stand behind this lectern or whether I stand in the street or whether I do it one-on-one with individual people, I'm going to continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's the greatest name. That is the name that is above all names. That is the only name by which people can be saved. But what gives us this boldness? There's four things in this text I want you to see. And we're going to look at them this morning, and I want to share with them, share with you the first one is found in verse 8. We don't have time to examine every verse, so I'm just going to pull out some verses. You go home and read the context, you'll see that I'm true. Excuse me. I'm true to the text, but I want you to listen to the text. So they're pulled in. They're being questioned by the Sanhedrin, by the way, which is 70 men who make up a board. And, and when they bring them in, they really are sitting like in, a, in an oval shape. And so they actually have Peter and John in the midst. I mean, they're just literally standing right there in the midst of this, this crescent of guys who form up this liberal arm called the Sadducee or the, the Pharisees uh, are getting, excuse me, Pharisees and Sadducees together make up this Sanhedrin. But majority of them, listen, majority of them are 
the liberals. Majority of them, by the way, are from one family. Read the text. You'll find that the majority of them are from one family. Can a family mess up a church? I'm going to tell you what, they can. Amen? And so he says, they're from one family. Read the text. But I want you to look at verse 8. So how do, we, how do we make opposition? How do we go through it? Number one, we're emboldened through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God. We don't talk, talk about him about Baptists, but, but listen to what it says, verse 8. Then Peter. So by what power, they said in verse 7, what name is this all done? This guy is healed. He says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all. And we'll get to the rest of the text in a minute. So the first thing I want you to understand is the Holy Spirit. Do you realize, ladies and gentlemen, that we are never commanded in Scripture? And we talked about this previous, but I want to remind you, we are never commanded in Scripture to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. Because at the moment of salvation, when we pray to receive Christ and we surrender our life to the Lordship of Christ, immediately the Holy Spirit of God comes and resides inside of us. But we are repeatedly, over and over again in the Word, are told to be filled with the Spirit. That sounds like a responsibility on my part. The Spirit will fill us. Jesus promised in John 16 the Spirit would come and fill us. The problem is that many of us are walking without the infillment of the Spirit, the, that is the, the filling of the Spirit, because we're living disobedient lives. We're not living surrendered. Amen? And so here, Peter and John, they're living a life of surrender. They're, they're living a life of discipleship. They're followers of Jesus. And they're serious about that commitment. And they're serious about their fellowship. And they're growing in Christ. And then... They're filled with the Spirit of God. And so when they're in front of this crowd, and by the way, I don't know about you, but uh, you'd be a little nervous, wouldn't you, to be in front of that big of a crowd and you know, everybody looking at you and, and, and they're looking down at you and they're accusing you. And you know, you're, you're not in the midst of friends, you're in the midst of enemies. And so the, the empowerment of the Spirit was crucial and important because if you remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, Jesus was talking about persecution times that would come. And do you remember, listen to what it says up there. It says, now when they bring you to the synagogues and the magistrates, and guess what's, what's happening, right? And before the authorities, do not worry about what? You'll answer them, right? Why? Get the next verse. The rest of the part of the verse. Is that it? Did I load it up wrong? There you go. Don't worry about what you're going to say. For what? The Holy Spirit will teach you. So how is it I can face opposition? It's the Holy Spirit who lives inside me that when he fills me, I can face opposition and I don't have to worry about what to say. Why? Because the Spirit of God will quicken my heart with the truth that I need to preach and to tell. I find it very interesting. If you'll read this text very carefully, what you will find here is that the disciples acted very much the same way that Jesus did. Oftentimes when Jesus was confronted they would ask him a question. You know what they did? Jesus would ask a question back. That's exactly what Peter's doing. Peter's saying, you know what? I don't quite understand, guys. So, so what you're saying is that we got arrested last night and, and we got put into jail because we did something good? I mean, think about it. It doesn't make any sense, does it? That's what he's saying to them. So the Holy Spirit's at work. The Holy Spirit is working in his life and, and, and knows what to say and how to say it and able to control himself and preach 
the name of Jesus in the midst of opposition. Folks, I'm going to tell you, we cannot rely upon our own strength when it comes time to stand for the gospel. You must rely upon the power and the working of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. Which means, listen, we have to always be ready to give an answer, right? Always, Peter said, always be ready to give a defense of the gospel. How am I always ready to give a defense of the gospel? Listen, I want to be prayed up. I want to be Bibled up. Amen. I want to be in the Bible. I want to know what the Bible says. So I want to be prayed up, but I also want to be word up. I want to be in the word of God. I want to be filled and saturated in my heart with the truth of God's word, that the spirit of God can use me in the difficult times as well as in the good times, because there's good times and we love the good times, but we don't like so much the oppositional times. But as our world gets closer to seeing Jesus come back, it's going to get worse. It's not going to get any better. If you don't believe me, all you got to do is read the rest of the Bible. It's going to get worse. We are living in an age where people love to have teachers surrounding them. They'll tickle their ears to say what they want to say, to tell them how pretty they are, how rich they can be, how healthy they could be. I mean, that's what they're drawn to these days. People are not drawn to truth. And the name of Jesus is hated today just as much as it was hated the day that he walked on the planet. And they want to snuff his name out. So what are you going to do, Christian? What are you going to do when you're standing in line and somebody finds out you're a Christian, you start getting berated? What are you going to do? Are you going to say, well, yeah, but you know, I just believe he's one of those ways. You know, I, are you going to cave? Are you going to, are you going to say, well, no, no, I'm like Peter. You know, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a Christian. How are you going to handle that opposition? Well, I'm going to tell you, if you're not filled with the spirit of God, you're not going to handle it right. I can just tell you that. So my advice to us, to me, as I look in the mirror, is to be prayed up and be in the word so that I can grow. I can be in a person. Listen, there's disciple. We talk about discipleship. Discipleship is the church's responsibility, but it's also an individual responsibility, right? Remember we looked at that back in the Philippians when we passed through, passed through Philippians. We talked about, you know, that you and I are, are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. There is this responsibility that you and I have to yield ourselves to the spirit of God that he would work in our lives to mature us to the image of Christ. You're never going to grow in Christ if you don't avail yourself to truth. You don't avail yourself to the prayers. You're never going to grow in Christ. And so we must grow in Christ. The first thing that Peter did was to rely upon the Holy Spirit of God who gave him the words to say in the midst of a difficult time. But that's not all he did. The second thing is because they continue on. And you know what they continue to say? They say, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Stop doing it. We don't want you preaching in the name of Jesus. And then the second thing that he relies upon, we find in verses 9 through 12, and that is he relies upon his confidence in the gospel. Do you have confidence in the gospel this morning? Do you really believe this morning what Paul said that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe? Do you really believe that this morning? I mean, do you really honestly believe that Jesus Christ was crucified in your stead, in your place on the, on the cross as a substitutionary death for your sin? That, that he was dead, physically, literally dead, and then on the third day he rose from dead? Do you have confidence in that truth? Or are we like Oprah Winfrey and we say, well, this is one of the ways. 
No, they had confidence in the truth. Listen to their confidence. Go back to verse 9. And if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man by what means that he is made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. He said, this is the stone which the, the, was rejected by you builders and which has become the chief cornerstone. Verse 12, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which men must be saved. Are you confident in that? It doesn't need a lot of explanation, ladies and gentlemen. We, we who grew up in church, we who have been around church any length of time, ought to know that the gospel is founded solely on Jesus Christ. And it's what his work of the cross was. It's his resurrection from the dead. And that's the confidence we have to have. And if we lose confidence in the gospel, then we're going to waver. We're going to say there's more than one way. But there's only one way. There's only one gospel that says. As a matter of fact, Paul goes at length to prove in Galatians that any other supposed gospel is not a gospel. He calls it a deutero gospel. That means it's not a gospel at all, right? That means it's, there's no, there's, it's void of, of good news. And so do you have confidence in the gospel that we hold to? Because if you don't, listen, Opposition is going to come, and you're going to cave, and you're going to, you're going to hear people say, well, you know, I believe in God. You know, I, I, think it's, I think it's okay that you believe in Jesus, but, you know, I believe in God. You know, and, and sometimes we act like, okay, well, that's good. Well, they believe in God, so all right. So they're going to be in heaven. <laughs> right? I mean, think about it. Folks, do we not sometimes feel the pressure to cave? Dave, do you, don't we, David? We do, even as preachers. You know, people have tough personalities to deal with and you try to talk to them and, you know, they try to say, well, you know, I go to church. Well, bless God, you go to church, but well, do you believe that Jesus Christ was crucified in your stead? That he was buried, he rose again on the third day. Is that, is that what you're staking your eternity on? Listen, listen, all of you in this room, listen to me very clearly. Is that what you're staking your eternity on? Because if you're not, if you're staking your eternity because you were dunked in that water right there, if you're staking your attorney because you've got your membership on the rolls of First Baptist Church of Love Plains, I'm telling you what, you're, you're putting it in the wrong thing. Amen? Because I, listen, I'm just going to say what Billy Graham said. There's a lot of church members bound for hell. A lot of church members. So what does he say to us? Peter says, first of all, the Spirit of God filled him. Second of all, there's this great confidence that, listen, if Jesus is the only way, I don't care what I have to go through, his name is worthy to be preached. And more than importantly, there is an urgency of the gospel here. Amen? And so he preaches the gospel. But then there's a third thing. The third thing is found in verses 19 and 20, and that is this. There is a boldness through trust in the sovereignty of God. You know, God's got a plan, and in his plan sometimes is going to be opposition. <laughs> Listen to what he says. Look at verse 19. But Peter, as they continue to berate him, tell him to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. 
For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So what are they, what are they doing here? They're, they're trusting in the sovereignty of God. They're saying, listen, God has sent his son. His son has suffered and died at your hands. They crucified him. God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of the plan of God. We saw Jesus. John would say it this way in 1 John later. He would say many years down the road, that which we have seen with our eyes, that which our hands have handled. John is saying, we touched Jesus. We hugged Jesus. We heard Jesus preach. We watched the miracles that Jesus did. We saw him crucified to that cross. We saw him buried in a grave. We saw him risen from the dead. And these are the things which we testify. These are the things that will empower them to preach the gospel. And so here Peter stands and says, listen, we stand on the sovereignty of God and God has told us to preach and we can't help but preach. That's what we're going to do. Can I tell you the mandate's the same. God's sovereignty has not changed. He is still sovereign over the world. He is still in control and in his control and in his sovereign plan, he has called you and I to partner with him in preaching the gospel. And unfortunately, we got this mindset that if opposition comes, I must be doing something wrong. Do you realize how much persecution came to the gospel through just the life of Jesus? He was persecuted on every hand. The disciples, the early church, persecuted on every hand. Listen, do you not realize that after the first century that many of the followers of Jesus Christ who preached the gospel, who tried to preach the truth of the gospel, were burned at stakes? They were beheaded. Get a little book, not little anymore, but Fox's Book of Martyrs. Just begin to read about how people died for the cause of Christ. Or go to the Voice of the Martyrs website and you'll see even modern day people today who are dying for the cause of Christ because they preach to God. Listen, if it's all about come to Jesus, have your best life now, then we owe somebody an apology. Amen? But that's the fallacy. That's why people don't stay in church. Because what we do is we peddle a false gospel. We say, you come to Jesus, your life will be okay. Yeah, in one sense, we, we understand that's the case. You have a peace and a joy inside that surpasses all understanding. That is, all circumstances, everything else in life. So yes, my life becomes stabilized in Jesus. That is true. But it doesn't mean I have a bed of roses. doesn't mean I'll never have opposition. Because it'll come. It'll come. And we're foolish to think. That if Jesus didn't skate through, we're, we're going to. Jesus said, they're going to hate you because you realize they hated me first. So through the Spirit, we can make it. Amen? We can defeat the opposition. That's what Peter and John did. Listen, we can do that by a confidence in the gospel. If you're not confident in the gospel, you're not going to stand for it. That's for certain. We do that through the sovereignty of God. And we realize God has a sovereign plan. And listen, I'm in that plan. I don't know about you. I'm in that plan. I'm thankful that God has me in his hand. And I'm glad I'm in the plan of God. And if opposition comes in my way, that's the plan of God for my life. And I can stand in that. But then there's a, a crucial element that we've talked about before. But we must hammer again and keep hammering it. And that is we make it through boldness by prayer.
Do you notice what happened to these guys? They got told, don't preach in Jesus' name. Finally, they couldn't win the argument because there was a notable, notable miracle done. And they realized that the crowds would not allow them to do anything else to these guys. And so they, they send them out, tell them not to preach in Jesus' name. And they go back to the congregation. In verse 23, it says, And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And so when they had heard, they raised their voice to God. Isn't it interesting they didn't have a pity party? Don't you find it interesting they didn't get together and go, how, how many petitions can we send to D.C.? They didn't, they didn't start a petition to say, what about our religious liberties? Now, those there's are great things, and we ought to vote. And you've got an opportunity to protect your religious liberties coming up in a couple of weeks, and you ought to do that as a citizen of our nation. But let me just tell you something. That's not what these folks did. These folks got together, and they got on their face before God. And that what it says right there, verse 24? And they lifted their voice to God with one accord. And here's what they said. Lord, you are God. And you know what they mean by that? Listen to what they say. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. You know what they relied upon when they went to God? You know what they said? God, you're bigger than they are. That's what they said. It's like the two little boys on the playground. My daddy can beat your daddy. <laughs> right? And all the daddies at home are saying, please don't do that. <laughs> you know? I always told my kids, don't do that. <laughs> I'd hate to get beat up, you know. But basically that's what they're praying, right? They're praying to God and saying, God, you are the creator. You're bigger than this. They got their eyes on the right place. They got their eyes on a God who is sovereign and who is with them and who is mighty and glorious. And listen, he will see them through. And their attitude was, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if not, know for certain we're going to keep preaching Jesus anyway. Amen? And so they quote Scripture together. The Scripture we already talked about is important. But I want you to slip down with me to verse 27. As they're praying, listen to what they pray. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles, and all the people of Israel were gathered together. Notice the focus of opposition. They realize it's on Jesus, not just on them. He says, to do whatever your hand, there's that sovereignty of God again, and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats. Listen to what he's saying. Look on the threats and grant your, serv- your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Do you realize what they just prayed, don't you? Not only that, God, you're, you're bigger than them. God, you're, you're sovereign. But here's what they're praying. They're praying, God, you know the very thing they accused us of? Keep doing that. Keep doing that. You, you know the, the name of Jesus we're preaching? God, just go ahead and let us keep preaching, but also keep healing people. God, keep doing signs and wonders and miracles. Keep letting them know that this is your son. They keep letting them know this is your gospel. Keep letting them know that we're going we're gonna to keep preaching and seeing the power of God fall. I'm telling you, friends, we take prayer so little, and yet they make it so forefront. Prayer needs to be our priority. And when opposition comes, you better get on your face. And you ought to pray to God, for he's the only one who's big enough to handle it. And we ought to pray. And notice God's response. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. And then to keep things going, what does God do? He empowers them again. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Wow. Would God not honor our prayers as we pray together? Maybe not in opposition yet, but maybe before opposition would come and say, Lord, we want to be a church that's bold. We don't want to shrink back from the gospel. No matter what the world throws at us, we know that because we're believers, the spirit of God lives in us and we want to be filled. And so we surrender our lives and we read our Bibles and we turn our face towards you in surrender that you would fill us with your spirit. God, we we want to be a church that we realize that if we're going to be bold, if we're really going to stand on truth, we have to have confidence in the gospel. And Lord, where we may waver, help us to stand strong. And by the way, I don't know how you can be a Christian if you waver on the gospel. I don't know how you can be a follower of Jesus. So if you have not nailed it down, I'm not so sure you're his. We want to be those kinds of folks, amen, that are confident in the gospel to preach it boldly and honestly. And listen, even, in the, even to those who persecute us, preach that gospel. Jesus, help us to be that church filled with the Spirit, confident in the gospel, and help us to understand that we're in the hollow of God's hand. In his sovereign plan, he's got us. He has us. Amen? But Lord, help us above all of those. Help us to pray to seek your face, that our filling would come through the prayer to Almighty God, who desires, by the way, to fill us. Let's pray. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.